Hello and welcome to this week's White Football Podcast with me, Etches Adoku, and Michael Dryden. Dryden, how are you today? And are you excited for the restart of the Prem? I'm good, Etch. Good to be here. Good to be recording. Um, I'm excited for the Prem. Uh, my free time currently is split between two walks a day, Football Manager and FIFA Pro Clubs. Yeah. So it sounds like I've got no life. That's because I don't. <laughs> yeah, very nice. Very nice. Um, yeah, so the Prem's coming back. First games back are Villa and Sheffield United um, and Man City versus Arsenal, which would be an interesting um, interesting tie. Arsenal Man City, yeah. I can't see City scoring, to be honest. Probably. Really? Yeah, probably 3 They haven't really got a track record of scoring against Arsenal, have they? Uh, it's no. a bit of a phenomenon in football. Yeah. Um, but it'll be interesting because... <laughs> It'll be interesting because, obviously, in the Bundesliga, we've seen um, how the home advantage hasn't really been a been a thing, with yeah. the games being behind closed doors, no fans. Um, we saw, I think, it was thirty-six. Well, I think I know thirty-six restart games and only eight wins at home. That's crazy. Which is pr- which is pretty mad. Um, there was there's been some crowd noises introduced to games. Mm. Will that happen in the Premier League? There's murals of fans being put out. Um, on the on the seats to replicate fans, so I wonder how the Premier League will will look, how the games will flow hmm. when it comes back. Yeah, um, yeah, I think it'll be it'll be quite interesting. Um, especially, I think the crowd the crowd noise is a massive factor. Obviously, we've seen how it's affected Bundesliga. Hmm. Um, will it affect the Prem? Probably will do. Will it affect it as much as Bundesliga? Any time will tell. Because the first couple of games in the Bundesliga, so the first game I watched was the Dortmund-Schalke game. Um, and that was pretty pedestrian start because obviously it's so unusual for these players to be playing behind closed doors. Um, but I think in recent weeks, especially as the, the, the season draws to a close um, and there's more to play for, per se, um, we are starting to see a bit more competitive action. But yeah, and it, it's quite interesting because it, I think a lack of lack of crowd for some teams, obviously I've spoke about the, the lack of home advantage, but... Teams like Arsenal and even Man United have underperformed as clubs in recent years. So I do wonder if, you know, without that pressure of the fans, actually they're going to perform better. Are we going to yeah. see less gravity on their shoulders? Because you know, we saw the thing with Granit Xhaka. United yeah. fans have been um, unhappy with the way the team's been because both sides have been outside of Europe, the Champions League, yeah. for some time. And it's I wonder if it's going to have a benefit, but will we actually just see Man City steamroll Arsenal? But how are you, Etch, anyway? Yeah, I'm really good. Um, what have I been up to recently? Obviously, yeah, I've been catching the Bundesliga. Absolutely buzzing for the Prem for when Arsenal steamer on Man City. Yep. Um, there's been quite a lot of new music which has been dropped recently. Um, so Little Yachty has dropped a new album, which has been pretty good. Same with Don Tolliver as well, another artist I like. Mm. And with music as well, uh, there's like three levels to an album. Oh, nice. Is this, this going to be the pod today, is it? Yeah, this is, this is a, the, new, the new pod script. So there's the first step, which is if it's a foot tapper. So that's when the music, there's a few bangers on there, but you're just tapping your foot. That's all you're doing. And then when you go above the foot tapper, that's when it's a head banger. Oh, really? Yeah. So that means that like, you know, the, the track's good, but it's a bit too hot to handle. So the head, the head's going as and well. And what's the third layer? You're going all out. But when you're, when you're going all out, you have to save it for a club scenario. Or like your bedroom, mate. Because you, you like can't. you like nightclubs, do you? Uh, I don't mind nightclubs. Yeah, <laughs> been to a few. Um, so yeah, I'd, I'd say the little yachty one is definitely like going all out. I think Don Tolliver is a, a bit of a knee slapper. 
I need to, a foot nice. typo, sorry, I got it wrong. Oh, nice one. Um, apart from that, I've been reading Zonal Marking. Yeah, it's uh, an excellent book. I've read yeah, that shout, too. Shout out to Michael Cox, uh, who actually finally, on Twitter, we, we, uh, I tried to borrow the book <laughs> off Dryden, and basically a friend has it. So he decided to tweet the friend and also Michael Cox, because that makes sense, that um, can I borrow this book? And Michael Cox actually retweeted or commented, sorry, telling me to buy my own version. So <laughs> if Michael Cox, you're listening, I've, I've bought my own version. And it's really good. So today, Dryden will be telling us about what he has learned about the academy structure in England, the elite player performance plan, and we will discuss what the future may look like for the future of the English football academy system. So before we actually start, please remember to follow us at YFootball underscore for more information on future episodes amongst other interesting clips and content. So let's dive straight in then. So what exactly is EPPP? EPPP is the Elite Player Performance Plan. Here on now we're referring to as the EPPP or the plan um, to avoid talking the microphone further. <laughs> um, it's an initiative by the Premier League that was voted in um, by the Football League as a whole in 2011. Um, it's widely reformed the academy football system in England. Oh, I thought this came into play within the last five years or so. Well, what's interesting about it, and one of the reasons I wanted to do this as a topic for the pod, is that it came in a long time ago. It profoundly has an effect on every club in England, regardless of their size or, size or stature. Um, but how many people know about it? Mm-hmm. I read it in a Michael Calvin book, No, no Hunger in Paradise, um, in 2017. Um, when that book came out and that was the first time I'd heard of it um, but yeah I mean, it has a profound effect on everyone's club mm-hmm. so a lot of people won't actually be aware of it which I think is really interesting yeah. um, the league structure has, has altered so it's now made up of the Premier League 2 and the under 18 Premier League for Cat 1 academies and the Professional Development League and under 18 Professional Development League for Cat 2 academies because we now have a four tiered categorisation so 1 to 4 um, the Youth Alliance League sits below that and caters for the Category 3 and 4 academies. The mission statement of the initiative is to produce more and better homegrown players. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean English players. I mean, it will result in, obviously, um, or perhaps potentially result in more homegrown players coming through that are English. But you can have someone like Fabregas signed mm. at a young age, say 15, and technically, because he's been trained at the club for X amount of time, he would be classified as homegrown. So it isn't, the point of that is it's not specifically aimed at England, the England national team. It's not an FA initiative. It is um, something set out by the Premier League to increase the number of academy players that reach elite level and the first teams and Premier League clubs. Yeah, that's a shame. I was hoping the focus of this would be to produce more English talent. Obviously, I'm 25 now, soon to be 26, and mm. I'd like... Kicking on. Kicking on, yeah, getting a bit old. My knees are beginning to give way. But oh, nice. ideally, I'd like to see England win a World Cup or go really, really far in a tournament sometime soon. And it's a bit of a shame that, obviously, the agendas of clubs are very, very different to the countries and how the Premier League run or their thought processes is very different to the FA. Mm. So the, the Premier League and the Football League voted 46 in favour and 22 against, with three no-shows and one abstention. The aim of the plan, as set out, is allowing clubs to have more coaching time with their young players, help clubs foster links with local schools, um, and allow clubs that have earned a top category grading um, to recruit uh, talent from further afield. So the 90-minute rule that used to be um, in place has been abolished. 
um, which is a major factor, significantly has introduced a fixed tariff for transfers of players under 18, um, abolishing the a tribunal system. Yeah, it's a shame about the 90-minute rule. I feel that offers certain sides protection or smaller academies, sorry, mm. protection from bigger clubs. It's almost as if without that rule, smaller academies serve as feeder clubs to the bigger academies, um, which, you know, morally doesn't seem, doesn't really sit that well with me personally. Yeah, it, it puts pressure on families to relocate. Mm. You know, if, if your son um, is getting touted by Manchester City and he's in London and he's not being touted by any of the big London clubs, then you've got a real tough decision to make because that could be mm. a big break. Um, and you can't be travelling. Um, I mean, Sam Greenwood went from Sunderland to Arsenal yeah. um, at the age of 15 or 16 um, under the EPPP um, in terms of how his transfer worked. So, I mean, I don't actually know, but I, I assume he's relocated because Sunderland to Arsenal or to London is a vast different a distance. You can't commute that. You can't do a round trip. No. But on the flip side, it also means that um, players that are have never been within 90 minutes of a big club because there are parts of the UK that don't have big clubs, they can now go to these clubs and excel mm-hmm. rather than have to stick with a club that particularly or might have a, a lower, a lesser academy um, system or structure. Yeah, you make a really good point. I think uh, we shouldn't limit youth, very good youth prospects from being at certain sides due to location. They should have the opportunity to be able to go far afield to have the best coaching, best facilities to further their development so that they could become the best mm. players that they can possibly be. I actually had no idea the plan was so detailed. So can you tell me a bit more about how the academy is categorised? So there's a multitude of requirements to meet each classification um, that ranges from coaching time to level of facilities, number of youth teams and operational costs. So for example, to maintain a Cat 1 status, clubs must display an operational cost of 2.5 million per annum. And as I touched on, um, only the so if you're at the a Cat 1 academy, you're playing mm-hmm. the best leagues. It, it produces this hierarchical system and to an extent elitist, a system where you've got you have to be playing at a Cat 1 academy to play in the best standard. And that, to an extent, is meant to mean that you have the best players going there and it creates that kind of hierarchy. But then, as, as I've outlined, you need to be able to afford that. So it's only the club with, clubs with resources that can um, achieve the Cat 1 status. So you're talking top-end championship and uh, Premier League clubs. Yeah, you make some good points. Um, obviously, the 2.5 million cost isn't a lot for really, really big prem sides, but it's huge for smaller sides. Mm. It's almost if you have that ambition to reach Cat 1 status, if you're a smaller club, it's pretty much impossible unless if you get the promotions or the success through going up the leagues, which if you don't have the money to begin with, and you don't have the mm. academy structure, it's quite hard to do. But what is this actual new tariff system? Can you explain that a bit more? So the tariff caps the compensation to £3,000 for each year a boy has been developed at a club between 9 and 11. Um, then from 12 to 16, the compensation then ranges from 12500 to 40000 depending on the category of the academy the player's coming from, um, which effectively is compensating a club for the, the training costs throughout their time at the club. Um, so for, for example, Etch, say you've played for Fulham since you were nine. Fulham of a Category 1 Academy. You're a fairly uninspiring second-choice right-back, but don't worry. It's your 14th birthday, 
and Arsenal would like to sign you. You've played at Fulham for six years. The fee at that stage will therefore be 3,000 times three, um, which is 9,000, plus 40,000 times three, because the Cat 1 Academy you're coming from in Fulham, it's irrelevant where you're going to, but you're unlikely to move down the uh, the categorization. So that was that's 120,000 plus the 9,000, so 129,000. There's then an additional fee based on how many appearances that player makes in the Premier League or other professional football leagues in England. Um, this ranges from 150k in the Premier League and 5,000 in League Two for 10 appearances to 1.3 million in the Premier League and 50k in League Two after 100, 100 appearances. Then it's different for the Championship in League One. It's kind of a scaling. Um, so as you can see, to with 1.3 million plus, say you're at the club from even longer than the example I gave, you're talking you're talking no no more than two million you could receive in total, and that's if the, once the players made a hundred Premier League appearances, which is not going to happen overnight, obviously. Yeah, I mean, firstly, I'd like to point out that really well done, mate, because I know the maths involved in those equations oh, is really difficult thank for you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Drian's mm. been working day and night, looking at his three times Crunch, tables, crunching the numbers, that you crunching his numbers. Yeah, it's been a really long process, and for him <laughs> to have delivered that. I think is truly fantastic. Yeah, I really appreciate um, the feedback. How would I rank it in terms of achievements? Probably better than Leicester winning the league. Thanks, yeah. thank you. Um, and also with my footballing ability, I'd be lucky to turn up for my mate seven aside team, let alone Arsenal. I think that's a bit of a stretch too far. <laughs> <laughs> so what system did the E Triple P replace and what were the negatives of it? The new league replaced the Premier Reserve League, the Premier Academy League and the football combination in 2012. Uh, these were typically split between North and South. So academies were based on a regional system as opposed to the new kind of hierarchical structure, which is a national basis and is based on who you play. It's based on the quality of your academy and um, the, the particular league you're within and the categorization. Yeah, I wonder who's won actually the most Premier League two titles. I would assume it'd, it'd be Chelsea because I know their mm. academy setups really, really good. I hope Arsenal have won a few, but it's a bit sceptical on that one. Mm. So who are the actual winners and losers of EPPP or the plan? Hereford United, Wickham Wanderers and Yeovil all followed their academies in 2012, um, directly after the, the plan was brought in. Um, the most ho- the most recent and arguably most high profile side, um, or most recent as far as I'm aware, is Brentford. The people are probably aware of who now opt for a B team model instead, where they bring in um, young players into their B team hmm. um, with some more senior players, and they play a schedule of friendlies um, against European teams across that um, across the season, um, rather than participate in the the academy system, which I don't think they can do with mm. the B team. Yeah, I think um, the Brentford model is really, really interesting. And hopefully in the future, we'll be doing a pod on that because I think, you know, it could be something we could see occur in the future mm. with other sides. The winners are clearly England's elite clubs. So it's United, Chelsea and Arsenal. Um, those three teams are actually um, instrumental in bringing in, the, bringing in the plan or initiating the proposals. It allows those sort of clubs to essentially cherry pick talented youth in England regardless of their location for a standardised fee um, prior to the tariffs compensation would be negotiated also big to a tribunal for example um, Chelsea signed Oluwasi Ojo from MK Dons for 1.4 million 
Um, the only way MK Dons, so they did so prior to the plan, should I say, the only way MK Dons could achieve that level of compensa- compensation now would be if they had a Cat 1 academy and the player went on to play over 50 games in the Premier League. Um, and I'm not sure he did. Yeah, I'll give you a 8 out of 10 for pronunciation there. Oh, thank you. And a gold More st- feedback, brilliant. And a, and a gold sticker afterwards, mate. Yeah, lucky <laughs> um, it seems a bit pointless developing youth team players if they get picked off for minimal amounts rather than what they're worth or what they could potentially be worth further down the line. Um, I don't really get what's the incentive for these clubs to produce these talents if they won't play for the first team because they get picked off mm. and they're picked off for very minimal amounts. Indeed. Other examples include Matthew Everington and Simon Davis, who signed from Peterborough to Spurs in 2000 for around £6 million in total combined. Um, the mercurial talents that are Everington and Davis. What does that mean, Edge? What does mercurial mean? Very good question. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to explore that for the next pod yeah. because it is just, it's like panache. What does that mean? <laughs> yeah, that actually, yeah. Um, so yeah, so the, the the deals for Etherington and Davis um, are the sort of deal, again, like Ojo, they're now unavailable to smaller clubs, reducing one of the few viable revenue streams for EFL clubs, um, which is more poignant today than it was then because the gap has um, increased um, even further than what it was in terms of the financial inequality or just the, the gap in sort of resources. Um, so the big losers are the smaller EFL clubs. Yeah, you make a very good point there. I actually haven't heard Simon Davis's name in a long, long time. He's one of the few Premier League players to have played in the Merseyside, North London and West London derby. Nice. Yeah, it's good trivia. Uh, Paul Koncheski was another one. And I think there were like four more. Yeah, Koncheski's that, that one of them players that comes up in so many quiz questions because he's played in... Is that one of them players that's played in every league? Mm. Yeah, but going back onto your point on um, the EFL's revenue streams is obviously standardised fees really has affected lower league clubs. And you've got to ask yourself, how can they actually compete? Mm. I think in England, the divide between the bigger clubs and the smaller clubs is normally spoken about in terms of sponsorship and matchday mm. revenue. But it's clear that academy football is a big part of that as well. You know, if these standardised fees are coming in place, so you can't sell your best talents, mm. you don't have the sponsorship, you don't have the match day revenue, yep. how can you ever reach the elite? How can you ever bridge that gap? There's no windfall. Yeah. No, and, and also with the way uh, fair play regulations work, which is a bit murky, you know, they really can't get to that next level or a few levels up. And you just wonder how these smaller clubs can bridge that ever-widening gap with the top yeah, I mean, it, it feeds into a wider argument of like what is happening to the League One, League Two teams anyway. Mm. Are we moving into a, a realm like in, in Italy, in Spain, where, or even Germany, where we've got B team models in those leagues because they, they can't compete financially? They can't even get match days. As we've seen in COVID, a lot of the League One, League Two teams literally can't afford to put games on yeah. without fans, which is crazy. Um, it just outlines the gap. You mentioned the 90 minute catchment rule earlier, which has since been abolished. Has there been a major change in the movement of players at youth level as a result? I take Sunderland as an example, A, because I'm a fan, and B, because they've lost a lot of players due to the plan. Um, I mentioned Sam Greenwood went to Arsenal, um, significantly outside the 90-minute rule. Um, Logan Pike went to Manchester United, and Joe Hugill is another player who's been recently linked with 
uh, making the move to Manchester United again. That is still with outside the 90-minute rule. Like for a club like Sunderland, the only teams that are actually within that are like Newcastle United, Middlesbrough, Hull. More moral arguments therefore exist of whether a minor should be promised the world elsewhere and be moved at a young age. That could affect his schooling, his mental health, and it could affect his family. If he's getting relocated, the family might be putting pressure on him to do so. Clubs may be offering the family the world as well to move. And if they're moving across the, com- the country in pursuit of a, a child's dream, it's a lot of pressure to put on um, a young a young person and the family as a whole, perhaps. Yeah, um, I know that with schooling in particular, which, which you mentioned earlier, that Arsenal have a quite a different sort of setup uh, compared to other academies in that they allow their players to attend school Monday mm. to Friday as normal. Mm. And then instead of being taught at the club, so that way, you know, you get players who can kind of have their footballing life and their schooling life as quite separate rather than yeah. all in one and they become quite detached from that being a child, pretty much. Mm. Well, there's a responsibility on, on clubs to to make sure the schooling is done appropriately, but then also just to, just to handle expectations. Um, so are you promising the world? Are you telling a... Um, a young player who's not going to make it or you don't think is going to make it that they've got a future at Arsenal just so you keep them within the system to kind of benefit the players that are going to um, potentially make it and is that going to affect the, the child or the, the, the teenager when he then doesn't make it hasn't put effort into his schooling because or his family haven't pushed it either because he's been, been told he's going to be a star suddenly he leaves the system at uh, 16, 17 if he doesn't make it pro at all and then where is he left? He's left with minimal qualifications, perhaps. Um, may have missed out on apprenticeship schemes at that time. And, you know, are clubs looking after these players when they leave? Overall, my thoughts on the plan are that it benefits the elite. The reason why I think that is because the standardised fees, obviously, as we've discussed earlier, limits clubs' revenue streams, mm. uh, which then puts a ceiling as to how much they can sell these prospects for which considering these sides are a lot smaller and don't have the rich owners or revenue streams through sponsorship will struggle to really get to the elite level, mm. which is which is a negative. Also as well, um, just with the 90-minute rule being abolished, you mentioned Sunderland in the north. These players are no longer protected um, in terms of they can go across the country to, to various academy setups, which is also negative for mm. certain clubs in certain areas, but also certain clubs and certain leagues. However, one benefit of the plan is that in theory, what we should see or or maybe already seeing is more youth players or the better youth players going to these Cat 1 clubs who in turn, due to the development and coaching, can give them the best chance possible to be the best players they can be, which in turn doesn't just help our national team, it helps the various others from where they come from. Yeah, it's, it's a very good point um, because, I mean, so far, I've probably touched on quite a lot of negative aspects mm. of the plan. Um, this is certainly a positive. If you are one of the, Sid Joe Hugel at Sunderland, he's, mm. he's, he's touted as being one of the, the brightest academy prospects in the country. The argument would be, why doesn't why can't he have the best exactly. academy system? Why can't he have the best facilities, coaching? Surely that's the that's only fair to the best prospects. Um, and so the movement, the freeing up the movement of players allows that to happen for him to go and to potentially excel. One other point I would touch on as well and the benefit, as a benefit, 
the plan is a plan. It's a it's a PDF document in itself, which is 120 pages long. Wouldn't recommend it for bedtime reading, but it's still it's guidelines. It's guidelines at each category how to produce that category of, of academy. So while it does provide or produce an elitist um, system to an extent, it does allow even clubs in League One, League Two. It does provide guidelines on how to produce a categorized academy at that level of three or four. It, it outlines coaching requirements. It outlines um, the amount of time that coaches should be spending with players to allow them to excel at that category. So it does actually provide perhaps a club that hasn't got a, a rich history or a long history of having an academy system within their club, actual guidelines on how to do so, if they can afford to do it, obviously, which is the, the key point. But yeah, it, it does actually provide a lot of information that seemingly was absent before. Yeah, I think you raised, raised a really good point. I do feel for the clubs, though, who have Cat 1 status, who are outside that top six, which, again, is a slight negative for the plan. But we spoke before about the operational costs mm. and, you know, these clubs have better coaches and stuff. But you could also see clubs like Watford, who have a Cat 1 academy, but aren't at the top six. So yeah. do they really get the benefits? Because if we're discussing these elite players going from, say, Sunderland or a championship club mm. to the elite, then some of the Cat 1 clubs are kind of removed from that. I mean, Sunderland's a good example because mm. of the league they're in. So, you know, we could see more Sancho's going from Watford to City, which are both Cat 1 academies in the Premier League. So I think in the future, because in the intro we discussed what we think will happen to academy football, I think what we could see is more clubs opt for a BT model and yeah, more agreed. academies close. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is because the benefits of actually having an academy set up is so small. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and how will that actually affect academy football? I think in England, especially in days gone by, the old problem was you weren't producing enough talent. Um, and that was kind of the issue. We had this massive mm. league and not enough talent, but... The success of the under seventeen winning side of Hudson Adoy, Sancho, Emil exactly, Emil mm. Smith Rowe, and Morgan Gibbs White has shown that there are talented players coming through. And now there's the next big issue, which you've had for maybe even longer. How do we give these youth players the opportunities? Absolutely, because um, the Premier League, as we all we all know and love it, but the short term, the short term incentives of that league make it very difficult for clubs to introduce young players. Like if you're, and we've seen with the COVID situation, the fight for um, some clubs not to want to restart or to be relegated because of what it'll do to their clubs. Like, mm. I mean, that's that's more extreme than it is anywhere else in Europe. Um, so for the, for a, a team down the bottom to bring in an 18-year-old player who might be highly regarded, but it's still a risk. Instead of signing someone from within the league who's older or from further afield, from abroad, um, to bring in quality for now for that short term rather than bringing in players who might in the long term be actually a lot better than these players or might really benefit the club and be sold at a premium um, but in that short term they're going to risk relegation which is going to severely hurt the club might never come back from that um, so how yeah so I agree I agree in League 1 and League 2 I think you're just going to see academies getting removed mm. Thank you Dryden for doing the research this week and thank you guys for tuning into this week's Why Football podcast Please, please, please don't forget to follow us at YFootball underscore. And please do let us know if you need subtitles to understand what Dryden's saying. I know it can be a real challenge. I think what might be more of a challenge is adding subtitles to a podcast. Yeah, what, what we can do is I can, I can actually just 
transcribe this and put it on our Twitter so people can actually then go on there and follow it. Okay, th- yeah. thank you very much. There for that, we go. Appreciate Good solution that. there. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we'll catch you next week, guys. Cheers. Cheers, cheers guys.